This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! And welcome to another edition of the Minnesota United Match Day Preview. Callum Williams here, and joining us from a social distance is the colour analyst Kindra D. St. Auburn. Kindra, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Ready to get this uh, second one under the way and one game, one W, one three points for Minnesota United. All good. I'm starting to get a little bit worried, Kindra, because I'm getting very comfortable with the normality of all this now. We've got soccer back, and, and it just feels so good, but I'm frightened to death that it's going to get taken away again. You know, I'm just completely bummed that we don't have an 8 a.m. game every day. You know, I mean, I wake up and turn the television on, and I'm just I'm it's just sheer disappointment when I don't get that 8 a.m. game. I've really become accustomed to it. So, you know, once uh, 2020 wraps up in 2021, I wonder if they'll do some AM fixtures and we'll have, you know, sausage and eggs. And although then it might interfere with some of your uh, Premier League watching when we're on the road and at home, but I just, I'm loving these 8 AM games. I love, I love the schedule. So let's, let's keep this going. Yeah, I would agree. It's been quite nice, hasn't it? Because essentially now with Major League Soccer starting at 8 AM, at least central time anyway, um, there's seemingly football all day with the European fixtures and the schedule and the time zones as well. We've got lots of Italian football, Premier League stuff as well, and then more Major League Soccer in the evening. It, it is essentially a footballing dream at the moment, isn't it? It's wonderful. It is. You know, I literally just, you know, I wasn't, we all knew we were missing it, but I think sometimes until it's actually back, you don't maybe realize how much you were missing it. Um, and I think that the intrigue of this tournament of MLS is back, not knowing what we were going to get, not knowing what to expect from the, the teams and the games and um, the situation down in Orlando, it just lends itself to the sheer excitement and uh, the element of surprise, which sports already brings you. And now it's like tenfold. Well, before we talk about sports in Kansas City and Minnesota United, let's talk about the tournament itself, shall we? We've had our first two teams eliminated into Miami and NYCFC, both knocked out of the tournament. Orlando City and Philadelphia Union advancing from Group A. What did you make of the games last night? Um, again, I think just really intriguing. Um, you know, Orlando City, I think no one knew what to expect from them, but then, you know, a couple moments of brilliance from Chris Mueller, which I think we all know he's capable of as a youngster and people calling out on Twitter for him to get some looks with the national team after some of those finishes. And, you know, sometimes for a player like that, it's just about the players he's surrounded by. And he's been a little bit unlucky in Orlando city with all the coaching changes and uh, different rotations of players in and around him. And he's always got, you know, at least one star on the team. And now it's Nani before, you know, it was others. So I think uh, it was nice to see his moments to shine and him to capitalize on those situations. Inter-Miami, to me, still just looks completely discombobulated. I think they're still trying to sort themselves out. And even though they made all these promises of signing big players and big names and, um, you know, a lot of hype heading into the, the season before the shutdown, you still know it's an expansion team. So no matter how much money sometimes you throw at something, and I know Atlanta might have been a little bit of a different situation, but they had, what, you know, 18 months or two years to really – put their squad together before they came into MLS. It's still an expansion team. They're trying to sort themselves out and they've got some different personalities. Philadelphia, I don't think it's a surprise to us because, you know, we've seen Philly the last couple of years, even though it's an Eastern Conference team and slowly but surely they've just made their way. They have a coach in Jim Curtin that the players really believe in and buy into. 
and um, they brought in some good players. You know, you've got Shabilko up top and some others, and um, Aronson in the middle, who's, you know, finding his way as a youngster, which is fun to see the composure that he has on the ball, even for being kind of a slighter frame and, and a young player. And NYCFC, what the heck? It's kind of like they started out 2019, and then they showed up at Allianz Field for our home opener, and we're trying to spoil the party, but just can't seem um, to get it together in 2020, even before the break. So I don't know what to make of NYCFC for all that talent they have on their squad. Yeah, it's, uh, I think, perhaps the most shocking departure so far. We must also um, just clarify as well that uh, both Inter Miami and New York City FC could still potentially qualify for the next round through the, the third place finish. But mm. with zero points and only three right. more to play for, I, I, it, it looks very unlikely, doesn't it, Kendra? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think that's a pretty big hole to climb out of. And you look at the other teams that are probably, you know, likely to have a third place finisher that looks better than them in points. Um, I would say that's going to be a pretty easy choice that those two will not be one of them, considering you take the next best four place, four third place finishers. I don't see them um, being into that, falling into that category. The Philadelphia Union last night really gave us a, a fabulous uh, idea of, of how they want to play moving forwards. The counter-attack was wonderful. The goal that Kasper Shabilko ended up scoring, I thought uh, Montero, uh, the midfielder, was fabulous in that movement as well. You mentioned Aaron Johansson as well. We were fortunate enough to have legendary broadcaster JP Della Camera on this very podcast last week. It doesn't seem to be much of a surprise to him how well Philadelphia Union are doing. Jim Curtin deserves plenty of praise, does he not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's one of those players that um, I think that he just feels good about it and he did, he has from day one. And you're right. We talked to JP Della Camera and, you know, we've talked to him before our matches in the past and in previous years. And he's always been able to highlight certain players like, Hey, keep an eye on this guy. I mean, if there's somebody who's been around the game for long enough to kind of know um, who can make a difference. And I know he's got, you know, Jim Curtin's here oftentimes. And um, I just think it's, it's a system that again, everybody buys into and, and they've had their fair share of, of disappointments or, you know, maybe times where they think they're going on the right foot and then they have a little bit of a setback. But you still have a leader like an Alejandro Bedoya that can kind of bring the troops together and rally the troops. And he knows when to, as maybe as much as Bedoya has slowed down in these days, it's, it's still that he, he knows how to control the game. He knows how to control the pace of the game. He knows when to make that hard foul and that hard challenge. And he knows when um, to turn it up and organize. So, I think there's just a lot of pieces to this Philadelphia Union puzzle, and they prefer to fly under the radar. They've got all those other East Coast teams that attract all the attention. They got the Red Bulls, the NYCFCs, you know, DC United, all these teams that surround them on the East Coast. And I think they and, and New England Revolution, especially once they hired, you know, Bruce Arena and you know, flashing lights around that hire. I think that um, Jim Curtin and the Union they prefer to just fly under the radar, be unassuming, and then just find a way. To, to beat teams, and I thought they they looked really well coached, really well organized, really well prepared, and um, it was it was fun to watch. You mentioned New York City FC a little earlier on as well. Uh, I think a lot of people thought they would go in uh, to the next round. A lot of people identified them as perhaps one of the favorites to go all the way in this tournament. Why didn't it work for them, Kendra? I just think that they have these individual pieces that maybe are still struggling to find their way together. And if there's any sport where you need cohesiveness and not just the best 
11 players. You know, I mean, we see it with national teams all the time where you can't just necessarily take the most talented 11 to 15 to 18 players and, and throw them on a team together. You have to have the pieces that balance the puzzle. And I think NYCFC started out that way last year. I mean, when they came to Minnesota, we were thinking Dome Turen was going to be fired and playing for his job, right, at that moment. And then they kind of, you know, that kind of seemed to turn it around for them. And Dome Turen not there any longer anyway. But I think that, you know, they're still trying to find their way with those individual pieces of talent. And they haven't been able to figure it out. There's, there's egos involved. There's um, different thoughts of school of play. And if, if you're not all on the same page with soccer and with 11 people, um, it's going to be an uphill battle and it's going to be a challenge. And maybe it will take something like this to be a bit of a reality check. They get bounced in the first two games. And more importantly, these games count towards your regular season. It's not just about being bounced in the, the first round in the group stage of a tournament and going home and being like, oh, good, well, now we can work on some things. Well, you just missed out on nine possible points, you know, for the regular season. So I think um, it's going to be a big deal for them to try to right the ship, and I'm not sure who you would look on that team and say, this is the leader that needs to get it together. Aside from the, the staff and the coach, who would you look at on that roster and go, this is the player or maybe two players that needs to pull this together for this squad and kind of snap them out of it. You know, we have an Ike Parr, we have an Ozzy Alonzo, we have an Ethan Finley, and we can go down the list of a few for Minnesota United. Who is that guy on NYCFC that has that personality? I'm not sure. It's an interesting point. Um, talking of surprises as well, the form of the current MLS champions, Seattle Sounders, coming into this game. They tied nil-nil in the opening game against San Jose Earthquakes, which, despite it being a nil-nil game, was extremely entertaining. But then they fell to a rather rejuvenated and new-look Chicago Fire. What have we made of Brian Schmetzer's side so far? I think they, the San Jose game, I thought they were lucky to come away with a draw. Um I thought San Jose had the better of the chances with serving balls in, whipping balls in. We know their wing played Nick Lima, Tommy Thompson, Espinoza. You know, we can go down. Jackson Ewell had a tremendous game. I mean, some people were calling him quite possibly the best American midfielder in MLS right now. You know, I'm sure that's up for debate. Um, but I thought Seattle looked very average to below average in that game against San Jose. Uh not the attacking pieces and the flair that I was expecting. Jordan Morris was kind of non-existent in that match. I thought maybe he was hurt. You know, Rui Diaz had some opportunities, but not the cohesive play that we're used to seeing from uh, Seattle. And then to see them again against Chicago, which is interesting because if, if my memory serves me right, I'm kind of having a brain fart. They already played Chicago this regular season. Am I correct on that? Yes, yes. Yeah, they already played Chicago, which is weird because it's a West-East matchup, and then you have another West-East matchup. out of you know, what, four regular season games now, you've played the same team twice, and it's an opposite conference. So it's kind of a unique situation. But, um, you know, Chicago came out with some fire, and I just totally did not just do that on purpose. I didn't realize I was just saying that Chicago fire came out with some fire. But <laughs> Seattle um, looked, again, a little pedestrian to me. More attacking flair, but still a little pedestrian. Um I think that, you know, the center back situation there is going to take some time getting used to forever. They had Chad Marshall, then they got used to him not being there, then Tim Keehee, and then 
You know, now they've got Ariaga, who's due for like a red or a, a late challenge or a dangerous foul just outside the box to set up a pen, you know, a, a set piece at any moment's time. And um, I think that they don't know what they're doing with Roldan and Ladero all in the mix. If someone's kind of floating out wide and then cutting inside, but then I think Roldan is less effective. Lodero tries to sit centrally and create. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a master on the ball and can, you know, set things up for Rui Diaz and then George Boris with his pace. So, I don't know. I just I, – I don't know right now. And I think um, Roldan looks a little lost when he's in the space on the wing and trying to cut inside and be inside alongside or with Lodero. And I don't know. I just – I was surprised that in game two um, they still looked as average uh, as they did. And what about – LA Galaxy as well, Kendra, falling to Portland Timbers by two goals to one. Let me ask you this. Yes, I know Javier Hernandez, Chicharito scored, but I thought he looked a little overweight. <laughs> it's funny you say that because, you know, I know a lot of these guys untuck their jerseys, mm. but usually it's like they're still wearing a tight jersey, but they're untucking it just for ease of movement. He had the like Bruce Arena untuck going, and I hate to compare him to that because that's a that's a that's a harsh criticism. But I looked; it looked to me like the quarantine was not kind to Chicharito, mm. and he looked a little overweight to me, a little pudgy. And you know, I know he's used to playing under pressure, but it's different when you're back nearly on your home turf, and there's an expectation of the level of player that you should be coming back into MLS. And when, you know, he misses a penalty, you just are like, what the heck? You know, I saw a gif or a tweet or something where he ran into the back of the net and he was like in the back of the net. And somebody said, oh, Chicharito finally found the back of the net. <laughs> like, you know, because he had made a run where he didn't get the ball and he was literally in the net. Um, so, you know, I don't think he's the only issue. I mean, I think LA Galaxy has a lot to figure out, which we've been saying now for three, four years. Um, it just seems like Chicharito might not be that answer or he needs some other players around him. We, you know, Pavone is there, but are they trying to do too much? Um, you know, you hang on to the ball too long because you think you're the only one who can get the job done. And, and there's still chemistry that has to be developed. I know I said that after the first two games. Give it time, give it time, give it time. They have to learn to play together. They have to figure it out. You know, they're trying to figure it out. They had three or four months off. Now they're still trying to figure it out. So who knows? I mean, as quickly, we saw some other teams like Houston Dynamo. I know they ended up with LAFC, you know, crawled back in it. But I thought they looked like a different team attacking-wise. So, um, you know, maybe let's see what the rest of it brings us. But Chicharito still has. Uh, you know, some, some shoes to fill because he's also had Ibrahimovic ahead of him prior and, uh, and some pressure because of just the player and the name that he is. Yeah, it's also very difficult right now to, to really make a proper judgment on individuals yeah. because we've only seen them really for, for what we have over the course of the last week or so and, and some players not really at all yet. So uh, what I will say is, is yes, I, look, I mean, I, I think Hernandez uh, has, has perhaps got some weight to lose, but I thought he took his goal really, really well indeed. And yep. he's just one of these players, isn't he? When you give him service, he will score. So uh, intrigued to see what happens with LA Galaxy. Right then, let's move on to Minnesota United. Uh, a victory on match day one for them against Sporting Kansas City. Kendra, before we get into the weeds of it, what were your generic thoughts and, and take-backs from the game? Well, man, you know, it's one of those where you almost wish there was a live camera on us 
in the stadium club while we were calling the game for how many times, you know, you and I and Morgan, our producer, director of broadcasting, and then Dan Terhart and Jonathan Harrison were throwing our hands up and, you know, social distancing so I couldn't smack you. But, like, what in the world is going on here in the first 45-plus, you know, probably another 15 minutes? What is going on? What is, what is What's going on with this game? What's going on with the Tyler Miller blunder? You know, I think we'd all be safe to say to call it that, and that might be putting it nicely. But just, um, you know, Minnesota, you felt good about where they left off with the first two games, and then you're feeling like everything Adrian Heath has preached to us during the last, few months of when the team was finally able to get back together and even when they were training on their own at home um felt like man these guys have been awesome they've been holding themselves accountable they're ready to go they're competitive they're um you know came back in fit and uh, you know adrian had all reason to feel good about everything but everybody also kept saying including adrian you don't know what you don't know until you get out there and you play 90 minutes against opposition in a full 11 v 11 and that kind of heat and that kind of energy and adrenaline what you're going to get and Ethan Finley's post-match quotes were about as spot on as you could get and in our recap show that we did with him as well look it was it was a disaster they got you know nearly run off the table in the first 45 minutes they were lucky to go into half down one nil um, Kansas City Peter Vermees organized um, attacking from all spaces up the middle out wide you could see as the game went on I felt Polito grew into it more and more and got they got him more involved their counter-attack was spot on the back line for Minnesota was scrapping and clawing to try to get it together and stay composed um, enough to just defend. I mean, don't even think about going forward. If you're Chase Gasper or Roma Mazzanero, let's just get the defense down first, you know? And then the one time they did counter, it was Chase Gasper who was up on the attack. So um, thank goodness for the way this team is built and the grind and the mentality, because that's what we saw. The goal was called back by Ethan Finley. And even though it was a negative moment, it created a spark and you could start to see their offense click where, like Ethan said, they were finally getting numbers forward together. They hadn't really had that the first six, 60 minutes. It was a breakout or maybe serve it up to Mason toy, but not a numbers up opportunity with possession and they finally saw that, and they took it, and they ran with it, and they capitalized. You get an own goal. You get some momentum. Peter Vermees makes some substitutions. You know, you think he's making substitutions to, to still go for it and get the attack going, but instead it kind of backfires because on the one, Gianluco Busio is just nowhere to be found on, on the marking situation. So um, credit to Minnesota United, to Adrian Heath and his roster and his guys for grinding it out because after – 45, even 55 minutes, you know, I thought KC came out on the front foot in the second half. They could have just, you know, put their hands on their knees and tried to hang it up because of the, the heat and the situation. But they grinded it out and they ended up with the three points. And what a fantastic moment for Kevin Molino on that pitch and in Orlando. And, you know, knowing last time he was in Orlando, he tore his ACL, although on a on a different pitch. Um so it was it was a great moment. It's a great three points, and Minnesota United, the only team in the league three and zero in the first three games of MLS this season. Let's go back to that Tyler Miller moment, shall we? I think it's safe to say we can all see what he's trying to do. He's 
trying to cheat a little and lean to the right-hand side. I think he's expecting the cross to come in from Kyrie Shelton. I believe it was Jose Fernandez who was awaiting the service uh, from Shelton. But in doing so, he opens up a gap to the left of him, which Kyrie Shelton is very easily then able to just play the ball into the back of the net. Um, no doubt about it, not his finest moment. He will know that. His teammates will support him. But, Kendra, what do you assume the coaching staff have said to him over the course of the last few days? You know, you know Stewie Kerr better than I do, but I'm guessing in the moment, and maybe at halftime, it's one of those things where Stewie Kerr was probably just forget about it, move on, silly mistake, you know, won't happen again. You overthought it almost. You have a millisecond to think about it, and you overthought it, and you tried to do too much, and we know what a great goalkeeper you're on. That's what I'm totally speculating and guessing. And then moving forward, I'm guessing it's just, more of the same training you know I mean we we know how Tyler Miller trains every day we know his intensity level we know his capabilities he's been with the men's national team supporters team with you know team or supporters shield with LAFC so it's not like this guy doesn't have a pedigree of goalkeeping and you know I think that the, the focus is probably going to be just move on you have to have a short memory in times like that whether it's a massive save or whether it's a massive blunder, especially as a goalkeeper. And I thought Ethan Finley, you know, said it well also, just saying, you know what, if we as a forward and an attacking player and a midfielder, we make a mistake, it's not really that big of a deal. We're going to have more opportunities. And if we turn the ball over at midfield, someone behind us is there to help. If you're a goalkeeper and you make a mistake, it's a glaring situation. So it's in, it's probably a goal. So I would guess that Dewey Kerr probably didn't have too much to say to Tyler Miller, just knowing that it's one of those things you got to chalk it up to a massive mistake. And it makes a heck of a difference when you get the three points and you get the W anyways. And so all in all massive team effort, Tyler came up with some other saves that he needed to. And I'm sure organizationally back there, he was really working it with Jose Aha and Michael Boxel being partnered together. And, you know, of course, Asani Dawson didn't have a great first half, but came out in the second half much better. I thought, and, um, you know, I think those are all things that in front of Tyler Miller are going to contribute to him forgetting about that blunder and moving on and his team coming away with the three points. Well, fortunately for Tyler Miller, Minnesota United were able to get themselves back into the game courtesy of a Jan Gregorz free kick. This is something that opposing coaches have identified as being a real threat for Minnesota United, Kendra. Why is that the case now? Well, I think that uh, the set-piece opportunities are just huge. And we talk about... Uh, Michael Boxel, we've talked about Icaparo was he when he's in the mix. And now you throw Jose Aja in there and then Schoenfeld as well. And these are all players that not just have the height and the size, but the ability to place the ball, flick it on, redirect it, and find those spaces. And Jan Gregovich, we see him day in and day out when we are at training. His opportunities to put the ball on a dime and how important that is for set-piece takers to have a quality player who can put a set-piece on a dime, whether it's serving it in or whether it's shooting it yourself, the difference that can make for how a team will have to try to defend you. And the big bodies and the positioning and the intelligence of the runs um, off the ball for Minnesota United are what makes the difference. And it's not necessarily the header by the big guy. It's in the next ball off of it. So Jose Aha or somebody gets a head on it, and then maybe it drops to Kevin Molino's feet or drops to Ethan Finley's feet. You have to be ready inside that six-yard box area, inside the 12, inside the penalty area to get that deflection and that next chance opportunity because you know there's going to be a ball coming off of the set piece, off of someone's head, and then someone else needs to be ready for it if it doesn't go directly on frame. And we saw it in the first two games 
um, on the road for Minnesota United, and, and now we saw it in Orlando. So I think that's just going to continue. Before we wrap up, Kendra, it was Kevin Molina who obviously scored the game winner appropriately, as you mentioned, being a former Orlando City player. A wonderful finish from him, but a very good last 20 minutes as well from the Trinidad and Tobago International. Well, and I think you and I both felt that he came to life a little bit when Schoenfeld came in the match. And anybody you seem to talk to kind of feels the same way. And that is nothing against Mason Toy, but there's two different things here. Mason Toy found out about five minutes before the game started that he was going to be starting. So that's different, right? Schoenfeld had 60 minutes or how many ever minutes he was on the bench for to really prep himself and prepare. The second thing is it's just two completely different styles of player. Not only does Schoenfeld have the ability to hold up play to then allow Kevin Lino to play off of him, he just makes very decisive and instinctive runs to get in behind and to combine with his teammates, something that Mason Toy, in my opinion, is still learning how to do. So I think that Schoenfeld gave Molino some life. He gave him some energy. Molino needs, wants, likes, enjoys someone to play off and combine with. Molino does not have blazing speed. He's so technically gifted, but he's not going to get the ball 25, 35 yards out and dribble three guys and shoot it. He needs a nice little touch back and forth, a give and go, something he can make a run off the shoulder and combine and even float out to the wing, serve the ball inside, get it back and create. So I think that's why Kevin Molino came to life. Raheem Edwards was another substitution. I felt that gave the team a little breath of fresh air and continue to make those runs up and down and, and fill the void there. So I think um, Kevin Molino, fantastic in the last 20 minutes. Schoenfeld, you know, could have very well, in my opinion, been the man of the match because of what he created. If you think about that first touch where he created the opportunity for then Melia to get the red card, there were a number of things that Schoenfeld did that maybe won't get the attention that they deserve because he didn't score directly on it. But, you know, we're the cause of and the result of some really nice, uh, you know, Minnesota offense. Minnesota United are back and are back in boisterous fashion with a victory over Sporting Kansas City. But next up on Friday evening, their next opponent, Rail Salt Lake, will preview them with broadcaster Brian Dunsett. Stay with us on the Match Preview Podcast. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. Welcome back to the Minnesota United Match Day Preview Podcast. Callum Williams here, as always, alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin. Minnesota United next in action on Friday evening against Western Conference foes, Real Salt Lake. So we find the perfect man to help us preview the Minnesota United opponents. That is Brian Dunseth, broadcaster for RSL. Dunny, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Appreciate the time and uh, always enjoy joining up with you guys. Really appreciate you giving us the time, mate. Uh, so let's get straight into it, shall we? It's safe to say it's been a rather bizarre 2020 for Minnesota United, Real Salt Lake and the entirety of, of the footballing world, really. What sort of shape do RSL find themselves coming into this tournament? Uh, to be honest, it's quite better shape uh, than they were at the start of the season. Uh, at the start of the season, they were really banged up injury-wise. Um, there was kind of the, the late acquisition or announcement of Giuseppe Rossi, as well as Justin Merrim, uh, Jason Ramirez as well, coming in, the young Venezuelan international who I have exceedingly high hopes for. <clears throat> and then on top of that, injuries to Sam Johnson, to Kyle Beckerman. And so I think they were still kind of feeling out what they were trying to put on the field. And for Freddie Juarez, 
first game of the season on the road against Orlando, even though there was no Don Dwyer, even though there was no Nani, it was a, it was a setup to get them points. And that's exactly what they did. That wasn't the case against New York Red Bulls at home. Disappointing goal conceded, but Demir Krylock in the run of play leveled the score line. I think it was a post and a couple of phenomenal saves uh, by Jensen, uh, getting the point on the road for the New York Red Bulls. But in the meantime, uh, I think it's been a recovery process and probably a really important, quote-unquote, second preseason opportunity for Freddie Juarez and company to get all the players back, get the, the foundation defensively that what they were looking for, and most, most importantly, which I was uh, extremely excited with, finally playing with the true number nine up top in Douglas Martinez, who had signed from Real Monarchs. Uh, Freddy Juarez, the coach of Real Salt Lake, has been a part of the organization now for what seems like an eternity. Finally, given the top job and given the opportunity, how has he fared in the early stages, in your view? He's done a great job. I think last year, obviously, the the trauma of Mike Pecky being suspended and then fired mid-season. Um, you know, the players, as we all know, the players want to control what they can control, and that is inside of the locker room and on the field. But at the same time, there's a lot of residual outside noise that comes along with firing a manager, as we all know. Uh, as you said, you know, Freddie from Casa Grande, uh, the RSL Original Academy down in Arizona, to being the first Real Monarchs head coach, to being the assistant coach for both Jeff Gassar and Mike Pecky, to now getting the head coaching job um, and having ties to Minnesota, having played out there uh, back in the day when they beat Real Salt Lake. And I won't say that I was a part of that team in the U.S. Open Cup because it's mm-hmm. so embarrassing the way we capitulated defensively. Um, but, you know, Freddie's a players guy. Uh, and not just with the Youth Academy guys, with like Aaron Herrera and Justin Glad and those type of players, but when you're listening to him on the sideline, dipping in and out of Spanish and English and, and, and getting the most out of players, I, I just think he's he's finding his way as kind of the best friend number two that can kind of be the in-between, but then also being able to hold players accountable, which we all know that's a – that's a that's an important phase of, of a young manager's learning curriculum. Sonny, we've seen this team with a couple pieces over the last couple of years with a Demir Krylock, with an Alba Rusnak, Corey Baird, you know, rookie of the year in his first season. Who this year within that mix or maybe a newcomer needs to have a really solid year for this team, again, to find themselves where they did last year, third in the West, making it to the postseason, who, who for RSL do you see kind of being that shining light? It's a great question because they lost Tofo Sacero. They lost, uh, he signed with Pumas. Joao Plata out of contract. They didn't exercise his option. Uh, he was having a bit of a nightmare behind the scenes uh, after his failed move to Liga Mekis. Um And then Brooks Lennon being traded to Atlanta United. So in terms of wide spots, it's an easy one. It's Justin Merrim. Um, I know Corey Baird, you know, rookie of the year, ton of minutes, great goals, but we're still trying to figure out who Corey Baird is um, as a player, what what his real role is. And I thought in the offseason, it was an interesting move for him to take jersey because we all kind of understand the weight of the number 10 and what that means. Um, but Justin Merrim coming in, I think if he can find the form that he was in with Atlanta United last year in Frank DeBoer, uh, then that will be a, a huge, huge plus because you've got experience, you've got leadership, and you've got an understanding of a winger that can provide service. Now, again, I think Douglas Martinez that had 20 plus goals in two seasons with uh, Real Monarchs is, is right now proving to be a savvier player up top than Sam Johnson, the designated player who had nine goals and limited amount of, of spot start duty last year. 
I would also say keep an eye on Giuseppe Rossi. And I know everyone knows Giuseppe Rossi and obviously the history with the injuries, but I think he, he comes somewhere in, I think, 11th or 12th position for uh, in terms of salary on this roster, which shows the kind of the hunger of just wanting to get back on the field. And if you talk to anybody involved in the organization, Giuseppe Rossi inside the locker room for the veterans. He's a leader for the young players. He's an asset that everyone can kind of turn to. And, uh, and more importantly, I, in spot duty, I think we've, we've seen very quickly what he's capable of doing. So I would say instead of an individual, Kendra, I would say there's a collective group that I think this club's going to have to rely on over the course of the season. I'm glad you mentioned Giuseppe Rossi because I think all of us on this call know Giuseppe Rossi, but maybe some who are just new to the game don't like know his history, choosing between the U.S., moving to Italy when he was 12. And you talk about the, the injuries that he's had, but also you look at his resume and the success he's had. I mean, he was fifth in the league one time, I believe, in scoring behind names like Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. So yeah. now he's ready and welcoming this opportunity. I think he said all the right things when he came to RSL um, about, you know, just wanting to be a part of a club and felt good about the culture. What can he bring on the pitch? I think if you, even if you go back the other night um, against Colorado when he came on the field, when he gets isolated 1v1, I mean, you, you can see the technical ability. That left foot is superb. And as you said, I mean, you rattle off his resume, Manchester United, Newcastle, Villarreal, Fiorentina. Um, I mean, he, he has been there. He's done that. It, Italian national team, uh, you know, that goal he scored in Confederation Cup against the United States. I understand why he's vilified, but let's be honest. Who wouldn't choose Italy over the United States men's national team? If you had, And I know that's still kind of that, – that's, that's a salty conversation for a lot of U.S. fans. But I think ultimately um, we are going to see it just and, and three ACL tears, by the way, three ACL tears, which is just I, I can't even fathom the amount of uh, dark moments psychologically that he's had on the trainer's table try, just trying to get back on the field. I spent some time with him in the beginning part of the season before the shutdown. He's in, he's excited. He's he's happy. Um, he's just got married. They're, they're expecting um, it's going to be a, a fun time for him off the field privately. And I think that's going to, I think that's going to showcase itself on the field because from day one, all he wanted to do was be on the field and play. And I think RSL is doing a good job of easing him back into, and, and, and they're not naive. They recognize the risk versus the reward of having Giuseppe. Um, but again, when, when he's on the field, there's a connection with Albert, with Demir, uh, with kind of the culture, uh, educated kind of technical players, the combination play with Justin Merrim. Um, we've seen glances and I think he, in the meantime, he's going to be a guy that's probably going to be good for 30 minutes off the bench, but they're going to try to slowly build him into a comfort zone, much like we saw with Zlatan at the LA Galaxy coming off that horrific knee injury, getting him to a level where he's no longer worried about the concern of, kind of that dark corner, am I going to tear my ACL again? Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of the thought process with him in the short term. Long term, though, Danny, what, what is the expectation with Giuseppe Rossi at, uh, at RSL? I mean, listen, if you could get double digits for him, and I, and I use double digits as, you know, goals and assists, if you could get double digits out of him this season, I got to think that's success. I mean, because again, if, if you're looking at the roster and, and we know there's monopoly money across the league, but 
if I'm for Real Salt Lake, you know, not a big spender in the big scheme of things. If I, it, you know, if I'm telling you he's the 11th or 12th best paid player on the team, that's a risk I think any general manager is willing to take. And, you know, I know he spent some time with New York and there was whispers about LAFC. I just think he fits here. I think he fits here because you have Douglas Martinez and you have Sam Johnson. I think he fits here because you have Justin Merriman, and you have Corey Baird, and you have Albert Rusnak, and you have Demir Krylock, and you have Michael Chang. And, um, you, by the way, this kid, Milan Iloski, coming out of UCLA, uh, has, has been really, really good. But obviously, there's a lot of players in front of him. So, yeah, I, I think if you get double digits between goals and assists combined, that's a good risk versus reward for, for Real Salt Lake and Giuseppe Rossi. Also on the subject of veterans, RSL, of course, lost perhaps the most senior veteran, not only at RSL, but across Major League Soccer in Nick Romando last season. Of course, he opted to finally hang up his gloves. In came Zach McMath to fill in um, perhaps the biggest shoes, if not gloves, in uh, Major League Soccer. How has Zach McMath done with all the expectation on his shoulders in the early stages? I would say he's done okay. Um, and I'm not trying to poo-poo his performances, but we all know kind of the history of Zach, of being the number one in Philly, losing it to Andre Blake, going to Colorado, uh, you know, the announcement that Tim Howard was coming, going to Vancouver. Um, and then I think it was like 50 grand is what RSL sent to Vancouver to get Zach. And at the time, um, you know, you're looking at Andrew Putna, who was backing up Nick Romando last year. And remember, David Ochoa, uh, goalkeeper for the under 20s and tap. By the way, he's going to be available for the next under 20 uh, World Cup. Um, and he's what he was involved with. He was called in. He was a part of that under 23 Olympic roster with Jason Christ that was down in Guadalajara uh, before the pandemic ended Olympic qualifying. He won the USL last year with the uh, Real Monarchs. He had, I think, a run of like 16 games consecutively. And when I say this kid, plays the villain role incredibly well. I mean, I'm putting him up there with Alan Gordon, Stephen Lenhart, Tom Dwyer, Alejandro Moreno. Like, David Ochoa is blowing kisses to the fans, to the opponent <laughs> fans. He's chopping players up and laughing and giggling while forwards do like a flyby, like Tom Cruise and Top Gun. I mean, this kid's personality is outlandish, but his, his technical ability, his skill level is through the roof. Now, I don't know what his ceiling is, but if he keeps his head on straight, he should be the Real Salt Lake starting goalkeeper by the end of the season. And I would say that his potential is most definitely being called in by Greg Berhalter and the U.S. Men's National Team. Now, putting that type of expectation on his shoulders, there's also the human element of a 19-year-old goalkeeper that I still think is a bit naive both on and off the field and has to figure out a way to have better training habits. And the reason why Zach McMath got the job for the two games from the start of the season, um, and, and Ochoa is dealing with a finger injury, so he's not down in Orlando right now. Uh, McMath came in and, and you know, professional. He, he earned the starting job. But there was also the understanding that Ochoa was going away after two games with Justin Glad and Aaron Herrera uh, to join Olympic qualifying. So, again, I, I think... For right now, Zach McMath is the number one. Don't sleep on Putna. I think Putna is a really good goalkeeper. Um, but like many goalkeepers we've seen that have come through Real Salt Lake as the backup to um, to to Nick Romando, they've ended up going elsewhere and gotten starting jobs in Major League Soccer. Probably Tim Melia 
the guiding light. So I think historically there's been a lot of good goalkeepers come through RSL, but because Ramondo's been Ramondo, um, they've never had the opportunity. So we were all kind of waiting for this day, much like someday we'll wait for Kyle Beckerman to hang him up and see what the next generation of player looks like for Real Salt Lake. But right now, Zach McMath is, is going to be the guy uh, for RSL between the posts. By the way, I've kind of thoroughly enjoyed Nick Romando on Twitter during his retirement. Um, you know, I know he always tweeted about his foundation and charity stuff and whatever else, but it's kind of fun to see him, some of these players, when they take to Twitter afterwards and chime in, especially on his fellow goalkeepers and some of their performances. But, um, hey, moving on to holding midfielders. When you guys signed, when RSL signed Everton Luis and Beckerman decided to continue playing, I kind of wondered how that was going to work. And I saw in mm. Everton Luis, you know, maybe quite could have possibly had a red card the other night, which we don't need to go into that here nor there. But <laughs> his possession, his possession, I mean, I think he gave three passes away the whole game. But I wondered how are Beckerman and Luis going to work in that position? How have you seen that shake out in their time together? Kendra, I think it's put an extra two years on the legs of Kyle Beckerman um, because if he was going the way he was going, whether it be Sonny, whether it be Luke Mulholland, whether it be Nick Beasler, whether it be Justin Portillo, Kyle was doing so much running. And I think he was, you know, Kyle is, let me, let me, and you guys will know this, Kyle, the thing about Kyle that's incredible is that he hasn't lost his competitive edge. Like, I started losing my competitive edge in my late 20s. I'd be like, it's Tuesday. It's a possession game. Like, what are we doing? Like, do we really have to go all in right now? Like, Kyle wants to win everything. And when you watch him just at training, you're like, there's no way a manager could leave him out because he's up there. He's the most competitive, and he's up there as one of the best training soccer players, footballers that you have. And that's where I give him kind of the ultimate credit. But on the field, he needed help. And bringing in Everton Luis from Spall on loan and then locking that deal in, you know, I, I call him Everton the destroyer, Luis, because he's got that Nigel de Jong, to your reference point, that tackle the other night, um, and what he did in Seattle at the end of the season in the playoffs. And one of the reasons why he missed that game in Orlando uh, because of suspension, he's, he's tough, he's gritty, he's antagonistic, but at the same time, to your point about possession, he can take, he's so much better than people give him credit for because he, he's, I, I mean, this is a, a broad stroke. He's Brazilian. So like when he takes off, technically he is so, uh, um, what's the right word? Disgustingly uh, technical and um, like he'll just go on these marauding 60 yard runs and nutmeg someone and chop someone and, and kind of scoop the ball over a tackle and split two defenders and, I mean, it's crazy. It'll be like the 89th minute, and he'll take off. But it won't be like Sonny taking off where you're like, bro, you're not going to be able to do this. Or it's like Everton. You're like, go, 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 go. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Everton. But much like a Diego Chara or an Ozzy Alonso, he's going to draw the ire of all of the opponent's fans and the opponents because he is going to lump you up and down the field for 90 minutes. and He's going to chirp and chirp and chirp the entire game, both at the opponents and the referees. So I love him, but I know everyone else will hate him, much like Ozzy and Diego Charles. 
so, uh, and he does have that, you know, million dollar smile when he's given a red, much like we saw from Jeremy <laughs> Gallo, like we saw from Diego Chara the other night, just with a big yeah. classic smile on his face. So let's go to the attacking side. I want to talk Martinez because so much was made, especially after his match the other night. But what does that mean also for Sam Johnson? I mean, I feel like Sam Johnson came in highly touted. He's had his ups and downs on off the field and otherwise. Can you kind of break down those two players for us, for those that are going to watch the game on Friday night? Yeah, so we'll start with Sam. You know, Sam, uh, majority of his goals before coming to Real Salt Lake were up in Scandinavia, earned a huge money move over to China, and then was there for about a year when the when the rules at China at the Chinese FA kind of changed about foreign players. Sam, like Gustav Svensson in Seattle, were one of the players, the type of players that were released um, because they kind of chopped down the quote unquote foreign quota uh, over in China. So he went back to Scandinavia. Uh, he came over here. He's on good money, not crazy money, uh, but the acquisition cost along with the salary kind of bumped him up into that designated player. But I would say more of that low range designated player, not the, the Carlitos Vela or the, the, the Chicharito or the Pizarro type of DPs. Um, so just to kind of categorize that one of the problems one of the problems for Real Salt Lake historically has been the club hasn't played with a real number nine, like a, a real true number nine since Alvaro Sabarillo. That's kind of the Jason Christ days. So, you know, when you look at Yura Mavsissian coming over, Yura wasn't the real number nine that I think everybody expected. He started finding kind of the shadows off the shoulders of an outside center back and the inside of an uh, outside center back kind of trying to get into channels. And then Mike Pecky set and Jeff Kassar set this team up with a lot of false nines, whether it's Demir Krylock or it's an Albert Rusnak or it's Corey Baird or it was a Luis Silva. They never really, it was like this hardworking team. So when Sam comes in, all of a sudden Pecky wants him to play a different role than he's used to playing. And that's not what Sam came in. Sam came in to be that finishing coaching goal scorer that can create for himself inside the box, but also relies on service. And I think that was a difficult thing because when you look at his statistics, his goals, nine goals versus his minutes played and his starts versus substitutions. Um, if you put those numbers up, you know, he, he was in the kind of the Joseph Martinez category. For, like if you put Sam on Atlanta United, Sam's getting 20 goals a year because of the way they play. So I think it was a significant challenge for Real Salt Lake and, and, and mainly Freddie Juarez when he took over to actually play with a true number nine. So for Sam on the field versus Sam off the field, I think there's a big challenge for him this year, knowing that Douglas Martinez came up from Real, Salt, uh, Real Monarchs. And, you know, I, I give credit to the Monarchs, the amount of games that he played. He's in Honduran under 23. Now he's worked his way in to the full Honduran national team. And when you watch him, He's got he's got all the all the descriptions right. It's easy power, pace, and the ability to get in behind. But he's a super intelligent striker with his movement off the ball and the way he kind of drags defenders around. And his technical ability is superb. One of the reasons why he scored so many goals. So I think if you watch the game against Colorado, you could see that he's a distinct threat up top for Minnesota United. Um, and I think that it's going to be a great competition to have two real number nine strikers. And I'm really, really excited that Freddie actually started off this tournament with this type of 4-2-3 with a real number one, like a real number nine striker, um, because it's something, in my opinion, RSL's been missing for a long, long time. 
So what have the opponents, Danny? What have Minnesota United, what is Freddy Juarez and his coaching staff most concerned about? Uh, I'll tell you what, not much if they focus only on themselves from the other night. I mean, what a start to the season Adrian and the club has had. Um, when I look at Minnesota, obviously the loss of Ike is the biggest loss just because I think he gives you a range that nobody else has as a center back in that, in that side. Um, but I would say if I'm looking at real public, I'm looking at trying to force them to chase. I'm looking at trying to negate their simple possession. I'm looking at them obviously to try to force Albert was not back whenever he received the ball. Um, you know, there, there's, there's speed and transition for Real Salt Lake. And if you can figure out a way to kind of snuff out their ability to break the lines early, um, that's one of their biggest threats. But I would also say that RSL in what I've seen upon the return to play is trying to have a more emphasized, simple possession like they do at Rio Tinto stadium. And I think that's part of the biggest challenge as you guys know who they are at Rio Tinto stadium in Salt Lake is a different squad usually than what we see on the road. So yeah, I would, I would say those are kind of the factors. And, and again, as we, we kind of talked about tough tackling in the midfield, setting the tone that I think is always important uh, between these two teams. It'll be really interesting to see just how the game goes on Friday. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Minnesota United up against Rail Salt Lake, of course, on Friday evening, 9.30 p.m. Uh, Kendra, D. St. Aubin, it'll be uh, a really intriguing game. It'll be interesting to see how both sides approach this game. What are you expecting from a Minnesota point of view? Well, I'm expecting a better Minnesota from the kit. I think that, you know, they learned their lesson the other night that they were able to weather that storm and come away with the three points, but that you can't do that every night. I mean, they were exhausted um, after that first 45 minutes, and they can't do that. The depth of the squad will be tested. I mean, we talk about depth, 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 and then they lost Luis Amaria and Mason Choi in that match, and, and we don't know if Ozzy Alonso is good to, know, good, good to go. We don't know if Luis is good to go. We don't know if Mason is back in the in the fold. So, again, um, depth is going to be tested. It's game number two of this tournament. Um, and from the whistle blowing, I think it's going to be um, a, a fun one to see, again, who gets on that front foot first. You've got players like Albert Rushnak and Corey Baird with the pace and Jameer Krylock so dangerous on set pieces, but also his ability to shoot just on the edge of the box. So that back line is going to have to be together when they're stepping to that attacking piece centrally. And game on for Chase Gasper and Roma Metinier and whoever Adrian Heath decides to go with in the wing play. Um, with Ethan Finley and Robin Lowe, we talked about maybe if we get to switch it up with somebody on the outside and, and you know maybe go with Ricky Edwards from the start. Is Sean Feld going to get the go, going to get the nod? Hopefully Kevin Molino is feeling okay. So um, I'm excited if Ozzy Alonso is in there to see that battle with Everton Louise and Kyle <laughs> Beckerman and uh, see how young Greg and Hassani Das and Ozzy Alonso handle that. But uh, my prediction, I'm going to go 2-1 Minnesota. I'm just going to throw it out there early, not even knowing who's healthy and who's not. Um, I think Minnesota's got a couple more goals in the run of play from them. Maybe on a set piece, Michael Boxel getting up there, Schoenfeld getting up there. And I think uh, defensively, they're going to lock it down and Tyler Miller is going to have a fantastic match. Wonderful. Kendra D. St. Aubin, thank you very much indeed for your time and our thanks to Brian Dunseth for joining us here as well and to you at home. That's it for the time being. Minnesota United again 
have themselves a match on Friday evening this time in the MLS is back tournament presented by Heineken. Real Salt Lake, the opponents, join us 9.30 p.m. on Score North or indeed you can watch the game on ESPN. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.